When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Continuing our 2020 positional reviews with outside linebacker tonight, I'm joined by Michael Crawford, longtime friend of the show. Michael, how you doing? Doing well. Can't complain at all, Ken. Uh, good to be back. Always good to be on and uh, look forward to having this uh, conversation about the outside linebacker position. Always a pleasure. Uh, a position certainly in turmoil for the Ravens right now with five of the six players you know, overloaded position, frankly. They had too much talent, more than they knew what to do with in 2020. And five of those six players are UFAs entering this offseason. 
Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, right before we we hit record. I'd asked you, you know, it, it, could you remember a time when they had that many UFAs uh, in a single year at a single position? And you said no. So you're right. Um, it was kind of an embarrassment of riches in a way in terms of being able to get guys on the field and get them snaps uh, in different situations. And now, you know, they, they obviously have to make some decisions. Uh, yeah, very unusual that they let the contracts get stacked up in the way they did here, where one position, you lose everybody in the same year. And Judon and, and Bowser were a year staggered, but the franchise tag to Judon changed that. Yeah. And now they have two guys, you know, two Sam linebackers going. I think that's one of the things we really want to hit on. Uh, and then they have the four guys, three of them rush guys, another guy who's more of a hybrid guy. Uh, that uh, are a little harder maybe to differentiate and, and and probably a little more likely, all of them, I would say, with the, maybe the exception of Ngakwe to return to the Ravens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the free agent market every year is interesting um, just because, you know, you, you never know who's going to be the team that kind of jumps out there and sets the market with a position, whether it's, it's, it's done rationally or irrationally. Uh, but this year, you know, with the added element of the cap sort of being, you know, down a little bit from what it would have been projected to be pre, pre-COVID. And I, I think I heard it's going to be a minimum of 180. Is that mm-hmm. right? So, could, heard. so it could be higher than that. So it, it, it sounds like it's going to be a little higher than even what people thought it was going to be because of the uh, the pandemic effect, but still not not where it would have been. So I'm I'm very interested to see what that does, if at all, uh, to the market. Yeah, now that's this is that's a very interesting point you're making. I just want to make this make sure people realize this component of that. Yes, the cap could slip up from 180, maybe 185. Or it could be 180 as the hard cap with borrowing allowed from future years. But it won't create dollars, meaning those cap dollars over time will be the same. You may be able to borrow from the future, pay them back somehow. That's what the nature of contract changes and whatnot does anyway. But you, there won't be additional cap dollars created. The, the, the owners are not going to give additional money to the players through this process without getting something back, whether that's in terms of uh, long-term benefits that might be costly, pension give-ups or whatnot. So it won't create more money for the players. What it does do is it pays the current players who are in the league a little more than future players are going to be in the league. I'm always, I'm always cautious about that but also anybody thinking they can just wait till next year to get their additional money well a lot of that money is going to be pledged away this year if if teams borrow against the future mm, that's interesting i had not thought about it that way and it, it it seems like um that's kind of been this 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 tension a little bit maybe tension is too strong of a word but between current players and future players oh yeah <laughs> you know about about that that issue in particular because you know you're you're it's sort of competing interests even though you're all players um it's, it's you have, you have the, the veterans and the apprentices yeah. we'll call them who are in their first four years but you know they make up the majority of the league those yeah. guys and, and a lot of players do not make it to their fifth year as we know uh it's it's actually fairly it's rare to sign a second contract i'd love to have the percentage of that but it's got to be you know 10 12 percent league-wide it's not a lot maybe 15 at the top end um and and other guys that hang on with some smaller you know, special teams role or the other things that have kept players along by being a league more. Those are other manifestations of the existing blacksmiths, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, taking money from the apprentice blacksmiths because that's what that does. So you, you do have a couple concessions from the owners there of, of basically paying salary that is not cap 
in the form of those veteran benefit uh, things. But it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. And, and you wonder how long can they maintain their control over that system? Because you would think, you know, new players come into the league, they still have a one-man, one-vote system. I know there is pressure from the veteran players, but how? How do they continue to maintain it? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I wish that I had a good answer to that question. I, I would, you know, you, you want to say it's not sustainable, but, but it's kind of been this way for a long time. So um, I guess eventually, you know, the rubber is going to have to meet the road. But I guess for the foreseeable future, it's going to it's going to you know be status quo, I suppose. Yeah, that is one of those interesting things, because if you're in year four and you've already been through three quarters of your apprenticeship, you want to make sure that you get paid off for having waited. So at that point, you're already probably with the long timers and, and maybe people in year three to a slighter degree are there. But there's a lot of other players in year one and two who are transient mm-hmm. and they're never going to make it to year five. And they know it or they should know it. And they shouldn't really have a problem with more money being paid. But a lot of that you know, is heaped first round money. And then the general masses don't really care about protecting the rights of that quarterback who's drafted number one and wants Jamarcus Russell money. Right. They want, you know, Matthew Stafford money. Either way, but whether well spent or not, you know, it's a uh, anyway, let's move on. We're not gonna solve the which is the one true faith tonight. Uh, all right. So let's go OLB by OLB. Take us through Michael and and uh, start with whoever you want and we'll we'll go through in your order. All right. Well let's start with Matt Judon. Um, obviously a homegrown product. Uh, fifth round draft pick. I, I think I've got that right. Um, has developed into an uh, an every down player for them at that position, right? A guy who really is multifaceted. And this comes up, I think every it came up last year, and, and it, I know it'll come up again this year. It's kind of this dichotomy with him at that position where you're looking at guys who are more pass rush oriented, who aren't asked to drop into coverage maybe as much as he is, and then you know, his value and, and how it corresponds to that. There's always that debate about, well, wait a minute, why are we going to pay him as much as these other guys at the top end of kind of that outside linebacker pass rush DM market when he doesn't have the same pass, ru- uh, pass rush productivity as those guys. But then the counter is, well, he doesn't have the same opportunity as those guys because he's asked to do other things and doesn't get to, you know, sort of pin his ears back and just, you know, purely rush um, on as many snaps as those guys. And even when he does rush, um, an interesting point um, mm-hmm. I heard somebody made recent. I think it was uh, Chris Long, former uh, Patriot, Philadelphia Eagle, longtime Ram. And he talked about the Ravens system. And he said, in his opinion, this is just his opinion from, you know, looking at it outside in as a pass rusher. He thinks guys uh, pass rush numbers actually go down when they come to the Ravens because of their system. Yes. Yeah, that, that's right. I, I would agree. I mean, obviously, with Judon and Bowser, it's most clear because they are Sam linebackers, and a lot of the scheme that Martindale uses is to generate pass rush by scheme. And the most flexible pieces in that are the two Sams, both of whom can drop to cover, create all kinds of pressure from off the slot, other inside linebacker positions. You know, they're a victim of their own success, Bowser, really, because he's the best coverage linebacker on the team, bar none. And Junon, who is also better than the inside linebackers the Ravens have, with the exception of maybe Fort, uh, you know, is a is a you know a better coverage player, and so he has more value in that way. There is something else going on though. Matthew Judon paid only fifty two point five percent of the snaps this last year. That's down, and it's been down for several straight years in terms of of uh, dropping to this low level. Um, I, the question you know I have is: Are any other you know, potential signing teams looking at that and saying, 
you know what? It's really not the productivity because your per snap productivity is fine. And I think that's, by the way, is pretty true. The pass rush productivity per snap is pretty decent. Mm. But it's, it's your total snaps played are not enough. Yeah. Now, could that be, we talked about it just a few minutes ago this year. I'd, I'd have to think back about previous years uh, to mm-hmm. see if, it's, if, if the same holds true. But could it be because of the other players they have in that group and having to try to get other guys on the field um, I mean, I, I kind of don't think it's that because look, if, if he is your best player or more, you know, most consistent, maybe that's a, a better adjective, better descriptor to use. Then even if you've got these other guys in the position who you want to get snaps, you're not going to take your most consistent player off the field just to give somebody else snaps. Um, so I, I think about that though. I wonder if he was in another situation that maybe didn't have as many players in that group, would he get more snaps just by virtue of, Hey, we don't have as many guys to put out there. Um, it's well, let me, let me phrase it more as a question to you. Cause I, it, it seems a little similar to Wink's approach with the D line, right? He, he likes to rotate guys. So do you think, could, could it be that? Could that just be the nature of their defensive coordinator that he wants to rotate guys at positions where he can rotate them? Obviously you're not doing that corner or safety or anything like that, but, um, right. D line and outside linebacker, is that maybe just his philosophical approach? He wants to rotate guys. I mean, I, I would agree it's a good philosophical approach, period, and it is the Martindale approach. So what I wanted to do is come up quickly with the number of total snaps by outside linebackers per play, because that will answer some of the question. Because, of course, we know the Ravens play a lot of the race car package where they've got additional guys on the field. And if I look at that, the main six guys played – 231.6% of snaps. So they're using 2.32 outside linebackers per play on average. Okay. okay. So they, 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 you know, you always pretty much play two and, and sometimes you play three, sometimes you play four with when you're in race car to, to do that. It kind of makes sense. The number seems about right to me. They do have to split those up. And amazingly, everybody, all six guys are between 25.7% and 52.5% for the whole year. Mm. We got the starting the starting Sams, the two Sams that really play that position almost 100% of the snaps, have 102.6% of the snaps between them. That's not surprising to me because those guys have to be on the field uh, on a lot of third downs together. And then one of them should really be on the field all the time, although that's not always the case. They do sometimes go with with uh, other positions. They have more choices at the uh at the rush position, but some of it is a function of having a lot of good bodies, but some of it's also a function I'm afraid of. Judon is now recognized to be not the run defender of some of the other guys in the group. Yeah, I think that's fair. And if we are looking and thinking about that, then yeah, I, I agree with your, your point there that other teams probably are as well. It's it's a it's a bad thing. I mean, I I don't know what Judon's percentage chance to return is, but this is something I want kind of want to go through on a player by player basis, and we can do it all at the end if you want. But my fear is that a team like New England um, or the New York Jets are would be the big two because the Jets certainly know the Ravens' personnel, mm-hmm. and New England certainly values these outside linebackers who can either rush or cover, and they create a lot of their their pass rush by scheme as well. They have a ton of money to spend and they are prime landing spots for Mike uh, for uh, Matthew Judon yeah I mean I, I don't I don't mind doing it as we go through each player if you want or we can even recap it at the end but he he definitely is is one of the guys who 
I, I probably don't have the number in mind, but I he'd be on the lower end in terms of the expected percentage mm-hmm. to return for me, just because of what I think he can get on on the open market. Um, right. And you know, you you can never begrudge a player for wanting to try to maximize that. Um, I've got my number written down at the bottom of this page. I'll write yours down too if we if we want to go, Michael. If uh, okay, okay. Um, yeah. So to put it in a number, I'll say 20, 30%, maybe somewhere in which, there. Which of those? Oh, let's go. I'll do it this way, because I think out of the group, I want to say that he, he's probably the, the, the guy that I think might be the least expected. To, it's between Hillman and Gakwe. Uh, I'll go 30. I'll go 30. 30. Okay, I went 15. I, I just I think there, there's too much of a chance of one of those other teams getting him. And if I... If I had to like bet on the plurality, I'd say uh, New England and the New York Jets. One of those two gets him is more than the than probably the total of all other teams. Mm. So uh, it I, may, I would make sense. Uh, you you laid out the the scheme reasons why and the familiarity reasons why. So those those do seem like really good potential landing spots for him. All right. Uh, I've liked Judon, what he did this year. I thought as a standing player, he was an incremental threat. Uh, He has the quickness to do a lot of the looping that that works well with some of that underneath play we've seen on stunts. Uh, Even uh, when he he rushes from level two, it's sort of like a stunt. It's really, I guess it's technically maybe a cross blitz. Is that what they call it? When when a, a inside linebacker crosses... Uh, to find a different spot along the line of along the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it could be a cross dog. I mean, it just depends on where he's coming from. You know, it could mm-hmm. be inside sort of cross. He could be crossing from outside in. He could be looping. <laughs> we could get crazy with it, He'd like going into like pirate stunts and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it they just you know the names vary. You know how football terminology is. All right, fair enough. Uh, so so uh, Judah anyway did a lot of good things. I thought standing up at inside linebacker, uh, he'll kind of be branded in some ways as a guy who never reached his full sack potential with the Ravens. And maybe that's true because they really didn't use him as the kind of dominant edge rusher. He was the closest thing they had to one, certainly coming into this year and wasn't really the way he is. They really still had to scheme him opportunities uh, to get some of his sacks. And he still, it comes with the reputation as being a guy who gets a lot more cleanup pressure than, uh, you know, first their pressure. Yeah, and you know, I think sometimes people look at a guy like Zadarius Smith, right? They look at kind of what his numbers were when he was here, and then they see him in Green Bay, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, look at, look at what happened there!" But I think you know, we we've kind of been been touching on this is that you know, when you play in the Raven scheme, um, you're probably going to have fewer just you know pure one on one opportunities to pass rush. You're probably going to be part of you know some kind of rush game. Uh, you know, like we said, there's a tons of different tons of different ways to describe them, but you're probably going to be involved in some kind of pressure package. And even when you do get those one-on-one rush opportunities, now this is true for all defenses. I'm not trying to say this is you know anything unique to the Ravens. You you have rush responsibilities, right? You have a rush lane, and there's rush lane integrity and that kind of thing. But we see on other teams, guys who are really talented pass rushers, they may have those same responsibilities, but they kind of just will free freelance at times and do their own thing, and the other players around them kind of have to make them right. And the defensive coordinators will kind of allow for some of that because the guys, you know, look, if you're getting home, and and it's effective. Yeah, I don't. I, it, it put up with a lot. Yeah, it potentially compromises the integrity of my defense. Mm-hmm. But if you make the play, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Whereas here, I mean, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. We were talking about this exact this exact point, and and his point was, 
uh, his opinion was, look, there's been three guys who've been allowed that freedom, Ray, Ed, and Terrell Suggs. And he said, that's it. Everybody else, you got to do what you're asked. If you step outside of that, they might tolerate it for a little while, but probably not for long. And I, I think Ray and Ed, I think they really had the right to, to write their own playbook on the field as it, as it was going on. And I, I would agree with that comment. With Terrell Suggs and, and with Judon as well, Judon, as soon as you have a clear division with a guy who you want to drop to cover a lot to facilitate other pass rushes, you can't ignore that responsibility. No. And if that's 25% of the snaps or whatever it is for Judon, I think it might have been 20 this year, then you really can't do that. There's very few Sam linebackers who have that much responsibility. I felt like Suggs was more of a sniff it out like a bloodhound yes. kind of a, a, of a of a down lineman more than anything, really almost a defensive end where where he would, if it was a screen pass, he just knew. And once in a while, he'd say, you know what? I think they're going to wide receiver screen left here. I'm going to do my dip and dip and jump move against Roethlisberger and whatnot. So uh, had some cool things that he would do. But he was a special player, boy. Incredibly special player. I, I, I know you and I have reminisced about him. That's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll do that. We'll make sure we get that one done. Okay, who's next? Uh, I think we will go with Tyus Bowser. I'm going to go right down the row. I think it's fair to do it that way. Okay. Um, we're talking about Sam's, right? People are linebackers mm-hmm. playing that Sam position. So he's the other guy who played it. And you mentioned probably the best coverage outside linebacker, maybe arguably the best coverage yeah. linebacker uh, in, in the NFL and on their team, you know, whatever, uh, you know, platitude you want to give him. Uh, he, he certainly uh, has, has shown that, right? Going back to even his rookie year. And then again, mm-hmm. you know, we saw it a couple times this year. I mean, I, I'm thinking right now about the interception in the Cleveland game, the second Cleveland game. It's standing out in my mind. Uh, stretch hand, is that the one that, that one-handed pick out stretch? I think so, hand? yeah, where he kind of shows a rush but then drops back into the flat and, you know, kind of gets out there and grabs one. Um, so, yeah, just a guy who, who has had that natural coverage ability coming out of Houston, really. He actually did, mm-hmm. you know, a fair amount of it in college as well. Uh, has continued to develop as a pass rusher. I think that was something where he, he, you know, maybe a part of his game where he, he kind of had the most growth, you know, potential there. A, a guy against the run, too, who maybe is going to play the run a little bit more with athleticism and quickness than just like sheer power, right? Uh, but I think he's gotten better uh, in both of those areas in terms of pass rush and defending the run. So um, obviously there's going to be a market out there for him uh, he's a very talented guy. Yeah, I think so as well. And uh, you know, he had 14 quarterback hits this year, which were his highest, and his sacks dropped to two at the same time. So he had five sacks in, in 2019. There's going to be a lot of people who look at that season and say, well, he was really better last year. Well, well no, he wasn't. Right. He was a hell of a football player this year in a whole lot of ways. And I, unfortunately, I think they're going to, there's going to be another team that realizes it. And once again, I think the two teams I mentioned before are the two that are the most likely to get in the Jets and the Patriots. Again, Understanding the personnel in terms of the Jets case and understanding of the scheme in terms of the Patriots case and cap dollars to spend like there's not that many teams uh, make them the most likely places for, for Bowser as well. Yeah. And just when you when you look at him and look at all the different things that he can do on the field, um, that's extremely valuable. And I think sometimes when you look only at numbers like like pass rush numbers like sacks and stuff like that mm-hmm. you can lose sight of the fact of just how athletic this guy is i mean if you go back and look at him coming out uh and, and testing at the combine one of the most athletic guys at that position not only that year but like historically this guy's like super athletic um so 
those guys are coveted around the league, right? When you have those kind of players who can move the way he does, uh, who who can do as many different things. Um, I don't, we didn't really touch on this, but both he and Judon contribute on special teams as well. So mm-hmm. you've got these guys that are all around linebackers, right? They, they do it all. They're not just pass rushers. They're not just run defenders. They're not just coverage guys. They literally do it all. And, it's going to be hard for the Ravens. I mean, you know, with their, their cap situation, it's going to be extremely difficult to compete with the offers that I would expect them to receive. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I, it, part of me is kind of hoping that not every team understands completely what these guys are. Uh, I think in Judon's case, they will because he's been nationally thought of now, maybe in some, by some teams in a disappointing sense, by others in a maybe there's value. But I think both will be a little bit disappointed with the money on the market because I think the teams, the Patriots, for example, much too clever to pay a lot of money. The Jets have paid a lot of money for some players. And maybe the Jets have to overpay just because of how crappy their situation is. But you know they're building something there. They've got a nice good pick in this draft. They're going to get the quarterback they want, I think. So, you know, we mentioned the Jets and the Patriots as as places where Bowser might go. And in, in the case of Judon, you know, I think that the, the teams are the same. The numbers may be different, but I think both of them are going to be a little bit disappointed with the dollars available in the market. And, and I've said that I think one year deals are going to be depressed significantly this year. Does matter where the cap ends up. But I was estimating when the cap was at 175 that Bowser was probably going to see. I'm sorry, that Judon was going to probably see a one year deal for nine million or a multi-year deal that'd be in the $11 million range. And he's a hell of a talented player to have to settle for that, but that's just the market conditions as they now stand. And if with Bowser's case, I think it's going to be more like he is not quite in the middle class because he's above that, but he, it, it, there's really questions whether there are two bidders in there, particularly after Judon is taken by maybe one of those two teams, at the six to eight million dollar level, whether whether he ends up with you know four years for twenty five million, or maybe he ends up having to take one year for three million, or two years for ten million or something, just to ensure his own financial security, which would be a reasonable choice. I would hope the Ravens could get into the bidding at a reasonable level on that, and and you know give him. Maybe it's three for 14, three for 15, three for 16. If they could arrange something like that, I think they'd do very well to sign Tyus Bowser and, and uh, you know, regardless of their own cap needs and, and shortages on their own end. Yeah, exactly. I, I sure would love to see him stay. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd love to see both guys stay, but, <laughs> but I understand the, the practical reality that, that that's not going to happen. There's a chance uh, you have one or the other, or a chance you have neither. But if um, we've had this conversation with some other folks too. Like if you had to choose right between you yeah. and Bowser, which one would you want to keep? And I'm like, I don't want to choose. I want them both. Um, but I guess if you're, if you're looking at age, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of factors in, um, dollars. yeah, dollars, like you just laid out. So you probably mm-hmm. lean towards Bowser a little bit. The other thing I think about is, uh, and we'll just have to wait and see how it factors in. There's a pretty good crop of edge rushers sort of outside linebacker edge DN types in this year's draft. And um, pretty deep too, not not just like top heavy, but I think throughout. I mean, going pretty deep, probably into the fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth round, you're you're going to be able to find some some good prospects. So I wonder how that'll factor into with with some teams and how they approach this particular position. I mean, if you you know if you see a guy out there who who you know you're interested in, you're going to make an offer. I'm not saying you ignore them, but I just I wonder how that factors in. 
Well, it could mean, I mean, obviously teams never want to imperil their compensatory picks. And maybe a player like Bowser isn't a guy you imperil a compensatory pick for. Because if you have to pay a lot of money and effectively you also have to give up a high comp pick, that's an additional cost to a contract for Bowser or a contract for Judon, whichever it might be. Now, if you're a net signer, you don't really care about that. So if you're the Patriots and you're going to sign eight free agents this year because you got so much money, but you're not but you know you're not going to lose anywhere near that number or or that quality obviously so you're not really concerned about the comp formula in that way then unfortunately that that works against the ravens yeah. but if for for other teams um you know the concern over you know losing more free agents than you gain is is a is a big issue and it may be that some players are released and and you go over those and maybe like a player like Bowser who is coming off a team is not going to be released will be one of these guys who um, actually he's just in free agency that, that teams wait until after the draft and after the compensatory period to sign. Yeah, that can happen. We see that every year mm-hmm. um, where there's some guy that's, that's typically ironically, we're having this conversation. That's typically where the Ravens like to shop. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, that's the bargain bin. Yeah, they love it. They love shopping there. Uh, this is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I hope, um, that they're able to keep one of those two guys. I would really love to see it because you, you've already laid out, uh, the scheme importance of having a good Sam Lamb, two good Sam linebackers. So mm-hmm. you certainly wouldn't want to have to start from scratch, uh, yeah. ideally, uh, trying to fill that role. Give me your number on Bowser. I've got mine written down. <sighs> Let's see. So I already said, I thought Judon was the lowest. I probably have Ngakwe the second lowest. They're going to be bunched pretty close together. I'll, I'll put Bowser at 40%. Okay, I said 35. So we're pretty close on him. That I, I, I do, I'm a little bit fearful what the market might be for him. But, uh, but yeah, if, if the longer it goes, the more likely he is to return. I think that, that'd be the good news with Bowser, that if, they, if no one signs him in the early part of free agency, then I think the Ravens will have succeeded in whatever, take it to the market. We understand, you know, we really value you, but we can't pay you the top dollars. So we, we encourage you to get the highest value you can from the market and then come back to us. Yeah, and we've heard Ozzie. Uh, I know, you know, Eric Costa is obviously the GM now, but um, he's obviously learned under Ozzie. And we know Ozzie, that's been his approach for a long time. Like, hey, go out there and see what you can get on the market. Mm-hmm. And if you find something better out there, hey, we wish you well. But if you don't, come back and let's have a conversation, you know, and we'll, 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 see, we'll see what we can do. It's funny you said the longer it goes on, maybe the better chance for Ravens. It reminds me of, uh, you know, like a, 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 that. And, and I was thinking about a, a former, former life of mine, like a not, a not guilty jury verdict. The longer they're out deliberating, <laughs> the better it is that you probably get a not guilty. They come back quick. It's usually not a good side if you're on the so defense side. You were a side. defense attorney at one time, just to, to, as a slight aside? Uh, yeah, yeah. In a, in a former life, I, I don't talk about it much because. A you know, public defender? You're working at a. Firm. No, no, it was a private. It was a private firm in Baltimore City. Good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, I, I, you know, there's, I, I, Michael is an extraordinary history buff. And, you know, one of the things about his, about his Twitter handle that people don't know is Abukari. Uh, Abubakari is the, the, mm-hmm. the name of the West African Malian. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, he's Malian. Yep. Okay. So he actually may have traveled from West Africa to Brazil in what year approximately? Is the legend? <sighs> Man, we were somewhere in the, the, the 15, 1600, somewhere in there. Okay, so it, w- it would have been coincident with European exploration then, not before? Because I thought it was before. It, it, I think it's, you know, well, again, we're, we're, we're talking about things that are really hard to document, but, but mm-hmm. the way it's described is it was before. So it, c- it could have been even earlier. It could have been late 14s. You know, mm-hmm. we could have been talking somewhere in there. Um, but, 
yeah, that's that's the origin of the Twitter handle, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of a kind of an interesting thing. I, I don't know if I've teased you enough about this particular thing properly, Mike, because <laughs> we're good friends, and I'm sure it should have come up by now. But you're you being a contract lawyer, and the nature of the Abubakari claim being one that is of unwritten, undocumented nature. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's, it's an oral tradition in right. West Africa, right? Right. right. And, and, you know, so it's, it's well known there and the less no well known in, in the rest of the world. But, but uh, uh, it's interesting that you as a contract lawyer would not highly value the written record <laughs> over the, <laughs> but anyway, I've always found that kind of a, a, a strange dichotomy, but fascinating guy, this Michael Crawford, all, all kinds of historical stuff he can give you when you, when you hit him up on Twitter, if you want to learn more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always down to engage in that kind of thing. Not a lot of great uh, history conversation on my timeline, probably a lot because of me, I probably should put more of it out there, but yeah, if people want to do that. I'm, I'm definitely here for it. All right. So let's go on. Who do, who do you want to talk about next? So let's go to Yannick Ngakwe next. Um, so, you know, trade it to the team. Obviously, we know that. Um, I for, do you remember when? I actually forget when the week that he actually came. To yeah, I think the first Pittsburgh game was his first. Uh, but I can confirm that while, while you okay. make your comments about him. And I'll... Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly when it was. But I knew, I knew it was you know, somewhat earlier in the year. Um, but he was the guy when he came here, right, the pass rusher. I mean, maybe only real wide receiver is the other position that, that kind of gets people in, in, you know, sort of polarizing debates about the Ravens. But a pass rusher, a guy who could win individually, one-on-one -on -one pass rushes, that edge rusher kind of burning off the corner, turning the edge, that's the guy that people wanted. And so you get this guy um, who's got this history from, you know, the Saxonville days. Uh, down there with the Jags with Calais Campbell and that that defense had you know that really really good run that one year, um, and I think he gets here. Now, this is not me, but I think this is what I've heard from other people in the fan base. And plays and and there's probably a perception that it was it was kind of underwhelming to a lot of people, right? That they had higher expectation, probably in terms of just raw sack numbers, right? And they, they, they felt like they probably didn't get that from mm -hmm. him. But I think when I watch him, and I, I know I, I probably mentioned this to you, one of the first things that stood out to me was just from a game planning perspective, the, the attention that he received from opposing teams, whether that be with a chip blocker, uh, whether that be a tight end or a running back, um, or whether that be just body presence, where that that where that that extra person didn't necessarily block him. That wasn't the intent. They weren't actually going to make a make contact with him, but just having somebody aligned to his side of the field, whether it be a tight end or you motion a wide receiver in tight, so that it you know gives him another obstacle. No, no matter how brief that is, right? That person's going to get out into a route and release inside or outside of him. But body presence, I think sometimes people don't it's kind of an underrated thing. They think, now you got to actually make contact with that guy to have an effect. No, sometimes his body presence is enough to have an effect. You get him to move up. You may yeah. have done exactly what you need. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the, it, the, the way in which he have impacted the, the, the pass rush were multiple. And he did only get three sacks. Uh, it didn't even have a lot of quarterback hits, I don't believe, although I'm not looking at that number right in front of me. But, uh, you know, an underwhelming number for that. But, but frankly, he creates a huge fanned out B gap, which works very well with the other Ravens pass rushers. It's almost like you've got a one man line of scrimmage and then a one-on-one -on -one line of scrimmage and then a four on four line of scrimmage at the rest of the, at the rest of the five positions. If you rush five, mm -hmm. 
And that, that's a lot easier to pierce that and to get pressure, in fact, up the middle pressure pretty much uh, on the quarterback with, with, with that option. So Yannick Ngakwe almost always used his left arm to rush from the left offensive side, used, gets tri- like to get that hand on the left tackle and chop or push with that with that arm to to maintain contact and go around but Yannick Ngakwe usually loses the rep as soon as he went to the second hand not much of a bull rusher um and, and the only way he otherwise won was was on a few counters to the inside but it's really not that's really not his strength his real strength is that that chop move and and and, and making that first contact with that left tackle by well one is longer than two method with that left arm yeah you you describe it that At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Cross chop. That is his fastball, right? That's that's the pitch that you're going to see the most out of him when he needs, you know, when it's a got to have it, you know, pass rush situation or, or really in, in a lot of other pass rush situations. That's the pitch that he's going to throw. Um, he does have some counters, like you mentioned, off of it, but that's the one that he loves. Um, I was surprised that it wasn't as effective um, his time, you know, with the Ravens as I've seen it in previous years. Like, I mean, that, that thing had been devastating uh, a lot of times in previous years. Now, obviously, you know, the offensive linemen, they study too, right? They, they, mm-hmm. They're looking at who they're going against and kind of when he um, likes to use that move and, and how he likes to do it. I mean, I noticed the, the left tackle for uh, the Steelers, uh, Alejandro Villanueva. Mm-hmm. You, you could almost see it every time Ngakwe would go to that move. He would, uh, Villanueva would fire his outside arm right as Ngakwe's third step was coming up the field. He knew. He knew that he was going to try to trigger that move on his third step. So he would just make that first contact right then. Like, obviously, you know, making first contact gives you an advantage in a lot of ways. But can you time it? When do I make that first contact? And he had it. He had it before a lot of those rushes. So um, that's that's a just as an aside. That's kind of a, a cat and mouse game within the game. And somebody who scores O-line, you see it. Watching rushers you know, in one-on-one battles, how they mm-hmm. unfold throughout the game, right? I know you're a big baseball fan, you and Josh, and to me, I'm not as big, but it reminds me of kind of the relationship between pitchers and batters, right? You, mm-hmm. you come out with a plan, you're throwing certain pitches early, you're, you're kind of probing, exploring, and then you kind of see how they react. And I think you see the same thing with pass rushers and blockers. You know, you're kind of probing, let me throw this move, let me see how he counters. Set um, up. Yeah, set him up. And then, you know, sometime in the fourth quarter, all right, hey, now we're, it's, let's lay him on the table. Let's see what we got. You know, we've been building to this the whole game and let's see what we got. I think he's really good at that. I mean, I think he has a plan and he kind of works it throughout the game. And I don't think that this is a stat for sure, but if there was a stat for close calls, in terms of pass rush, a guy who's like almost there. How many times can you visualize him reaching around the quarterback, right? Quarterback's mm-hmm. got the ball up. You're like, oh, he almost had it. Uh, and he just wasn't able to kind of finish it. So, well, to, to your earlier point, the quarterback can feel that. He doesn't have to even touch the uniform. If he if he's making a wavy move like this yeah. and and it's out of the you know quarterback's field of vision over there, uh, you know, uh, 
I, I can't say I know exactly what all successful quarterbacks do in terms of their vision of the field, but I think of it as if you want to read the field in a broader way, like a half or a third of the field at the time, you're better off using an easy eye puzzle approach where you're looking through the field and you broaden your um, field of vision mm-hmm. rather than doing what they tell you to do as a driver, a driver's ed, which is look here, look here, look here, look here, move your, move your point of vision around a lot. I think you're better off kind of, you know, you can see what I'm doing with my eyes here, but, but kind of broadening your field of vision by, by, uh, by looking through the field instead of at a particular receiver. Yeah, some sometimes you hear a quarterback coach call that like soften your gaze, right? That's the phrase. That's the phrase that they like to use sometimes. But it, it's kind of vague when you hear it. Like, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. But what you describe is really kind of what that means, right? You're trying to get a broader picture, right? As opposed to these narrow, almost snapshots where you have to move your head. Obviously, they are, you know, sort of doing that. But the broader, you know, sort of field of view you have then, you know, you don't have to do as much of that sort of individual herky-jerky kind of, you know, move your head kind of motion. But yeah, I think you're right. I think you can definitely feel that. You can definitely sense that. Uh, you already have a clock in your head in terms yes. of the time, but then now you've got this thing sort of flashing out of your periphery and you're like, I got to move. I got to get out. I got to avoid this. Yeah. And it's, it's a mass. I mean, it's not just Ngakwe. It's your left tackle yeah. also bearing down on the back pylon of that co- of that pocket. And is he going to be too close? Is he right. not? And I'm not really looking that way. So now I got to judge it because I, I knew a second ago that it was looking like there might be a car crash here, but, but, you know, yeah. maybe I better step off a little further into the shoulder. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, you better, better find some space in there somewhere. And to your point with Ngakwe creating that wider B gap, now you can do other things. You know, it can be an individual rusher coming into that gap. It could be a player looping into that gap. Mm-hmm. So now, He's not only one affecting the quarterback and making the quarterback feel his pressure. So the quarterback wants to move. But now what are you moving into? Right. right? So one of the best things to do with that wide open B gap and, and the, probably the most direct thing is to blitz a slot corner on that side. Mm-hmm. And, and there are cornerbacks who are just love to do that. So that, that, that slot corner usually has to make a call to come B or C gap based on where that initial fan is working out on the play. Now they, they, I, I don't know how they set it up in advance, honestly, on the play, whether that the, the outside rusher is directed to get more upfield and allow that B gap rush or whether it's just left to the action of the play and the, and the, the slot corner has to work off what he's seeing in front of him, which seems like the more natural thing. You wouldn't want to screw up your major pass rusher to get your slot corner a, a little bit better opportunity. It seems like that would be kind of letting the, the, the cart drive the horse yeah. in a sense. Yeah, and you, you, you hear about that um, when you listen to, to defensive line coaches or defensive coordinators. They talk about camp rules, like going back to mm-hmm. training camp. So you have some base rules on how you want to see that rush executed, but right, that's training camp. When we get into the game, like you said, you want to let players' natural ability and their instincts, what they see in the game, you want to let that control. And Dean Pease used to talk about that, where he would show um, – rushes i remember seeing a clinic they did like a hardball clinic at michigan a couple years ago more than a couple years ago a few years ago and he did a talk dean pease did a talk there and he's, he's showing some clips of pass rushes that looked like stunts or twists and he said now people think i called that so i didn't mm-hmm. i just allowed the players to read that out right. and make the decision on the field who's going out who's going in right and kind of work off of each other so i think you're you're probably 100 percent right about that it's probably more of the player sort of working that out 
um, in game, in practice too. I mean, obviously it's probably something they talk about and work through, but yeah, I, I think it, you, you, you'd limit some opportunities if you really kind of had like super concrete rules, like, Hey, you can yeah. only do it this way. Right. It, it, it kind of puts a limit on the counter moves in, in within the play, yeah. uh, particularly for Ngakwe. If he if he wanted to use a spin move, now he can't all of a sudden because he's got to be cognizant of that B gap and right. uh, leaving that open, for example. OK, so Yannick, Yannick uh, uh, your percentage, I got to think about this for a minute. Yeah, because now I'm rethinking. I know I've I've been saying that I I had Judon as my lowest guy, and I think he might be. I think Yannick might yeah. be my. But I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to 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 what I said, and so I'll put Yannick in between Judon and Bowser. I think I said Judon was at thirty. Man, I wish I would mm-hmm. put. I wish I would have put Judon at twenty now, because I probably would have put Yannick at thirty. Can I do that? You change whatever you like. <laughs> okay, let's put Judon at twenty, and I'll put Yannick at thirty. Okay, I'm I'm putting Yannick at twenty. Um, I, I don't think there's a particularly high chance. I think he is one of the few Ravens at age 25 that is going to draw a very big number on the market. And I'm not sure from where, but I just think he he makes so much more sense than a lot of the other players out there who've had trouble getting money in recent years. So let's say you're faced with J.J. Watt or Yannick Ngakwe. I would think that Ngakwe is going to be your better bet in terms of AAV. And uh, and you know that's the kind of player that it that it you know he may be competing with. Last year, the one I couldn't believe ended up having to settle for what he did was Jadavian Clowney, mm-hmm. ending up with getting what twelve million I think for one year somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Now he's going to get less, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know we'll see where he ends up for multiple years. All right, let's move on. Who do you got? Let's go, Pernell McPhee. All right, one of my favorites. One of our favorites, long, long time um, Raven, right? In, in two iterations, right? The first time around, then went to Chicago and then came back. Um, probably the, the, the best run defending, um, mm-hmm. you know, guy outside linebacker. Obviously, he lines up inside, you know, sometimes as well. So he has that flexibility. Um, still a good pass rusher, though. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking that away from him, but, you know, does it in a different way than a guy that we talked about, like Ngakwe, right, um, just, just a minute ago. Pernell, uh, it's more about power and violence. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to strike guys. He's going to, to – <laughs> I mean, they, they teach all guys this. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm espousing any, anything, you know, that's outside the rules of the game. But you hear the line coach say, look, when you're, you're working a move to get off a block as a pass rusher, whether it's a rip move or a chop move, you're trying to break bones. Right. That's that's the goal you're trying to. That's the violence in terms of mentality that you and, and you see that with Purnell. And when he strikes guys, I mean, there is a violence there uh, behind it. So um, just a guy who uh, I think all Ravens fans, you, you can see his approach to the game on the field in his play. You don't have to hear him talk about it. You can watch him play. And, you know, this is a guy who is out there giving you everything he's got or every play doesn't care about his body. I mean, you think about some of the, the the rush games they run with him where he's the guy setting the pick. I mean, he will absolutely collision a guy. And he doesn't care, you know, kind of what that does to his body. So uh, you can probably tell by my voice he's a guy I really like. Uh, I'd love to see him come back. I know, you know, age is, is a factor, but uh, I just really love the way the guy plays. I, I I couldn't love him more either. It broke my heart when they had to lose him the first time, but there was really no way with Flacco's contract and some of the other guys they had to sign that they were going to be able to keep him when he went to the Bears. And, and you know, they lost McPhee for some good years for McPhee, but he wasn't good for all of those years. And it really was a question when the Ravens brought him back. He was 40% to make the team, I would say, uh, going into 2019. And then, of course, not only did he play, but immediately they're relying on him for much more than the 15 snaps a game I was expecting. Mm-hmm. This year, 
42.4% of snaps for an entire season out of Pernell McPhee. I mean, who could have believed that? No. I, I, he played, let's see, let's get this right here. And these are scored snaps that don't include his penalties. So there's more than this. Neil's spikes are out of there as well. 448 is what I have him for for the year. So if you're looking at that in terms of a per game, that's 28 snaps per game out of Pernell McPhee. That's just unreal to me that they were able to get that out of him. Yeah, because I think I only mentioned his time in Chicago. Right before he came to the Ravens, he was with the Washington team. Mm -hmm. And I think they had him around like 10 to 15. Maybe there might have been a high of like 18, 19 in there somewhere. But that's what I really was expecting when he came here. But like you said, that first year, he's he's much higher than that. Um, You know, a little bit you know, down um, closer to that number this year, but still higher than what I would have still thought, especially with the guys they had at that position. But he's just one of those guys. He's so good. <laughs> you know, you want him on the field. And it, it, that's it's the he's so good that really concerns me over the Ravens losing him. I, I do think they'll maintain Purnell. I think they'll bring him back. But the, the, the problem they have is they can't decide whether they need him more as a run defender or a pass rusher because he's so good at both things. And you know, he drives a lot of that pass rush in 2014. Doomerville and Sugg should have each bought him a car for what he did for them during that year in terms of driving that pass rush. I mean, he was he was a monster on the inside in terms of commanding and often defeating double teams. And he really allowed a lot of one-on-one edge matchups for both Suggs and Doomerville that they did very well on in terms of their sack numbers. He's, he's an extraordinary player and, and the game against Tennessee that he played against the run at well, in every way, but, but is the game in particular against the run I'm thinking of because it's the game they stopped Henry as bad as they did. Just one of the most dominant games the Ravens have seen from anyone not named Terrell Suggs on the edge. Absolutely. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. It's, it's one of those games where, you know, you think about veteran players and you kind of wonder, do they still have, you know, a, enough left in the tank? And then you hear them talk about just wanting another opportunity to get in the playoffs and chase the Super Bowl. And, you know, when they don't get there or they leave early, you kind of don't get to see it, but then you you get to see that kind of game where he's like, all right, here it is, right? We're in the hunt, and they lay it all out. Like you see all of it on display, and you're like, these are what these are the games that you want these guys on the roster for. This is why, even as they age a little bit, even as maybe you know they 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 lose a step here or there, they show up in those games. And boy, did he show up in that one. Yeah, uh, it, they they really played well in both of those games, but uh, but McPhee in particular just outstanding in both of the the, uh, the the playoff games. Had a bigger role in that Tennessee game, but uh, what a what a player! Uh, anyway, I've got McPhee, obviously a big part of the race car package, big part of anytime they put four outside linebackers on the field, and I, I have a seventy five percent chance to return to the Ravens. What would you say? I was going to say seventy. I, okay. I, I think it's pretty high. Um, uh, you know, you, we've been talking about it throughout. You never really know for sure what the market's going to be. But I think at where he's at in his career and when you hear him talk about the Ravens and he's a Raven, I think he probably wants to finish here if he can. Um, you know, there can be other things that come into that, um, that that we're not aware of as fans. But I think he probably wants to finish here. And, and having his – you get the best of both worlds with him. You get a guy who's still performing – at, at a pretty high level, but you also get that veteran presence in that room if you happen to have a lot of young guys in that outside linebacker group, a guy who knows how to work, who knows how to be a professional, and who understands you know, what it's about. You'd love to have that in all of your rooms, all your individual position rooms, particularly when you have younger guys in there. 
Yeah, I just I, uh, we've talked about that a little bit in terms of McPhee teaching his way of violent hands to a player like Ferguson, mm-hmm. which would be the natural one. Or maybe even it's Matabike, who really seems to have the violent hands already. Mm-hmm. Teach him how to take to take it to the next level with the little tricks he can he could do additionally. Uh, you'd love for that. It's not always a natural thing no. that you know that 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 you know one player really wants to show all his tricks to the guy he's competing against. And you see some of this in in a player like Ward is a guy that I think we've seen more of the. I really need to cover myself first and make sure I'm on the active game day roster on a regular basis. And he's right. He does. He needs to be on the active game day roster. He needs to figure out how to do that. But uh, love McPhee. And, uh, and I really hope he's back. I think there is probably the best chance of any of the five free agents. So let's go on to number five in the free agent list. And that's Ward. Yeah. So Jihad Ward, a guy who you just mentioned, needs to be on the field. I think um, there's kind of a weird thing going on this year. I can't say I really understand what was going on um, where, you know, he's he's getting some snaps earlier in the season, then is inactive for right. a number of games, right? It wasn't just like one yep. game. <laughs> it's got a number of games. And you see him tweeting about it. He's unhappy, you know, that he's not playing, he's not on the field. And then he's back on the field and he's playing well again. Um, he's, he's probably in that same category, uh, in terms of a run defender as McPhee. Uh, I think he's pretty good against the run. He's better as a pass rusher. Uh, and this goes back to last year, it really caught my eye last year. You don't necessarily see it in terms of sack numbers, but just in terms of a guy who understands how to rush the passer, right? Mm-hmm. He has a plan. He knows how to use his hands. He knows how to counter. He knows how to set guys up. So he's, he's an efficient pass rusher does always result you know result in a in a number in a, in a counting stat no but mm-hmm. you know he's a guy who understands how to rush the passer and i think that has a lot of value um but yeah it was kind of weird what happened there and you you might have some more insight than i do just on kind of i, the I don't think down. i don't really think it's all that complicated i mean they had a six to make five situation in terms of their their outside linebackers so they had six on the field all healthy which boy what does that ever happen at any position and 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 they had five guys who they could put on an active game day roster and and reasonably apportion the snaps to and as much as you want to keep everybody rested i mean it doesn't make sense to carry six six outside linebackers on game day the ravens had him mistakenly or deceivingly, I'm not sure I had the, the word I want to use, labeled as a defensive end on their roster. And, and he is no interior defensive lineman. He plays there only on passing downs. And the acid test, by the way, guys, and this is the way I define it anyway, but it's the acid test to me, I'll say, is where would the guy line up if you're not sure the opponent is going to run or pass? And the only place that he would line up, if you're not sure, is a standing outside linebacker. He only gets into that three-point stance uh, on passing down. It's the way McPhee does and, and, uh, and when he's kicked inside. So I, I think with Ward, uh, they had him mislabeled the entire year. And, and people keep coming to me with these things about, you know, is he a defensive end or is he an outside linebacker? Well, the, you know, it's the Ravens public relations staff has put together that roster and they've got him mislabeled for the whole year. But uh, I, th- I thought, he, you know, his close to the season was excellent. You know, he really put it together at that point. We saw in 2019, he was part of the bailout crew that, that got the Ravens through that 49ers win in terms of, of getting the run defense back once the team had lost McPhee. Right. And, and uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of run options, and Ward was a good one. 
And uh, Ferguson had not grown into the player he is now in terms of being a run defender. So I think that that Ward was certainly ahead of him at that point. And in that 49ers game, we really remember him coming in to set the edge in that second half and, and that being the trigger to shut down the uh, 49ers outside run game. Yeah, I remember that game. And I remember um, when they were able to acquire him, I went back and looked. I think he, you know, he was drafted by the Raiders played a little bit there and then he was with the Colts and I remember watching the snaps in both of those places and he was only used as a hand in the ground D lineman like he didn't play any outside linebacker now a lot of that probably had to do with their systems um I think the Raiders were, were more of a 4-3 base kind of and, and and the Colts are too obviously um but I, I just I, I only bring this up because it surprised me that he had that sort of versatility. I really didn't you know look at that and see on film, okay, yeah, you can stand this guy up and he can play that way. I really just didn't see that coming. And then he gets here in 2019 and he does it and looks really natural at it. And you're like, okay, this, this, is, this is something that was kind of unexpected to me. But I think he, every time I've watched him play, he's always just been a really solid kind of reliable option for them. Just, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's nothing particularly flashy. You know, he may not be like uber athletic, but he, he's very effective in what he does. He knows what he's doing and you can count on him, right? You can put him out there and you're going to get good reps, good snaps out of him. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. He's not a guy that, that the Ravens have had dropped to cover a lot, but yeah. he can do a little bit of that for you. Um, he, he does uh, primarily he's there to rush the passer and set the edge. Those are his two things. And hey, you know, if you can do those things as, a, as an outside linebacker, that's pretty damn good. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So that's five of our six. Ferguson, the last one, uh, the only guy remaining under contract. So I think we can put him down for 100 on both of our lists. But where did you where did you put uh, oh, where'd you have Ward? See, I think if it were up to the Ravens and and it were a matter of money only and the relative offers, I think the Ravens can match anybody on on value for Jihad Ward and probably given him an opportunity that's about as good as he can get. But I think what Ward is going to say is that another team is which doesn't have a big stack of outside linebackers in front of me is going to be a better opportunity for me to get a new contract after one more year. So he might say, if I'm signing a one-year deal, it might be somewhere else. So I think that the chance to re-sign Ward is more like 55 and uh, and not 100. The Ravens have need, and they may be able to convince him that that's enough, but it's not going to be a big money deal. It's just going to be a you know a, a, a little bit more than the vet minimum probably. Maybe they can figure out a way to make it a two-year deal. But uh, you know, it's it's to me, 55 is about the right number. Yeah, I was going to put it at 50. And I, for the same reason, uh, in, in terms of you know, fifty percent likely that he's not here, because sometimes when those kinds of things happen during the year, you you wonder if it's just kind of regular, you know, bumping the road. Hey, they weren't using me the way I wanted to be used. I wasn't getting playing time, but then I got playing time, and we kind of worked through that, and it's in the past. But then other times you wonder if it's just there, and they the players just like, ah, I'm not gonna forget about that, and I want an opportunity to go somewhere else. And I kind of get the feeling it might be more on that end of it for him. <laughs> it's like, yeah. eh, I understand I got back out there towards the end. That's cool. I'm not going to forget about that. Uh, and he might hold on to that a little bit, I wonder. Right. I, I mean, if, if the Ravens only have five outside linebackers, it won't be a problem for him. He'll get more playing time. But if the Ravens have six again, which it does not. I mean, here's, here's the, the, the total here for us. I've got 3.0 total outside linebackers returning by my some of the percentages you've got 3.1 mm. and there's that's a lot of ground 
to, yeah. to figure out you need two players effectively in either case that have to come from some combination of the draft and free agency if they get the expected number of players back from this group. Right. So I, I don't I think that's I don't see them drafting more than one edge. Maybe they maybe they do it both by the draft, but I think it's unlikely since the team has so many needs really in the draft. At least that's the way I see it. And okay. if they if it, on the uh, you know in terms of free agency. I think they're going to be hunting through the bargain bin. I think a lot of the potential free agents they would get are their own. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think I'm not breaking news by saying this, but obviously what, what happens in free agency may, may, you know, have uh, some impact on the draft strategy. Cause if, if they, if they don't get a guy or maybe even if they only get one guy through free agency, I kind of thought they could maybe double dip at, at that position in this class, just because of how much depth there is. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think they would necessarily need to, um, invest like a premium pick per se. Maybe one of them is a, is a second or a third round pick, and then maybe one of them is a is a later pick. But I could I could see them kind of doing the thing what they did with the inside linebackers last year. We kind of double mm-hmm. dip. Um, I, I, but but who knows? You know, I guess we'll we'll find out though, right? <laughs> yeah, that that would be a real swing for the fences. Double dip if they did like a one and a three at edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I I really don't see that happening given you know other needs that are there on the team. And we could go through this real quick, but but they they have. You know, wide receiver, line. offensive yeah. line. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got to they've got to find. I think another backup tackle, regardless of what the situation is with Brown. But they might really need an offensive tackle in terms of a developmental guy uh, that they that they need to concentrate a higher level pick into a higher round pick in. Yeah, I think we've learned from the Super Bowl. Uh, we you and you know as somebody who scored offensive line for a long time how important the offensive line is. But look, Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent. But right. you don't have people who can block for him. It almost doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's. I I, th- I think we, we even saw some of that against Buffalo. Obviously, the, the the I think the main consideration for me with the Buffalo game was the wind. Lamar Jackson covers a ton of sins for the offensive line. An unbelievable amount of sins. Yeah. You can have a lot less of an offensive lineman, but you can't have no offensive line. They yeah. still need to run the football and they need to do some things well. So, True. Uh, they'll they'll do they'll do that. All right. Uh, let's see. Anything else we didn't talk about that was on our list? to do today let's just be as unprofessional as possible and see if we had anything here uh sam flexibility we really talk about um we talked about a little bit about the competition or signings uh i think i think we've got it pretty well here in terms of uh of uh where they have to do one thing you you did make a point that i that i want to respond to is that how the free agent market goes is not necessarily how their free agency goes because they may decide we don't really have anyone up to the draft it's really how their players are able to go out and what they're able to command in the market because they might draft one less if they know they can then return to the to the bargain bin and and other outside linebackers too who are not getting paid um, and and go to those guys after the draft and say hey we can still get we can still get some players here yeah absolutely and we know they're I'm not saying that other teams don't do the same thing I'm sure they do mm-hmm. but just you know focusing on the Ravens we know their their player acquisition period is long. Right. It's not just free agency. It's not just the draft. It's not just after the draft. Sometimes it's into training camp, preseason, you know, they didn't have week preseason. four. Yeah. <laughs> week four. <laughs> I mean, so they're always, you know, acquiring uh, players. And so who, who knows, you know, how that position is stocked. Um, even, even after free agency in the draft, you're, you're not going to necessarily know that's the end of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great strategy. I love it from a GM perspective. Is is extending the period and continuing to keep valuable options on the table. As soon as you sign that guy and you sign him for twenty million for five years, kind of thing. Well, you've actually taken options off your own plate in terms of the draft, in terms of what you can get out of the bargain bin, because now you can't 
offer that guy as many snaps uh, in terms of what you could go to in season where you might be able to trade some valuable asset you have in terms of either a young player or a draft pick to get a player at that point. So I, I love the Ravens thinking. And it's long in terms of when they'll acquire somebody. It's also long in terms of their thought over multi-years that they're going to value draft capital ahead of how other teams often do who are a win-now uh, team. And there are plenty of plenty of ones that are going in both directions right now, but I think the Chiefs, you know, the Saints certainly this year, the Eagles when they were not winning this year, were all win now teams, and the Ravens just just never been their philosophy. Yeah, and I mean, look, it's it's you know, um, it's in the eye of the beholder. I know you, that's kind of discussion that's out there in Twitter and a bunch of other places, but it's hard to argue with the Ravens' longevity, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of having you know playoff appearances and being able to compete. Um, for a Super Bowl, and people, yeah, you know, people sometimes will harp on that. So, well, yeah, playoff appearance is not enough just to have play. Well, you got to get to the playoffs to have an opportunity right. to compete for the Super Bowl. So, yeah, nobody is. I'm sure nobody in that building is satisfied with a playoff appearance. But mm-hmm. um, you know how it goes, right? You got to win your division, right? The goals, anyway. You got to win your division. You got to get to the playoffs, and you've got an opportunity. And they they've put themselves in that position to compete for those things year in and year out. Yeah, which what I find is helpful. Actually, I don't find it helpful because I tried to do it recently. It didn't work. Is turn that question around on the guy who's asking it. Basically, if you say, we got to win now, we got a quarterback in his fourth year, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, work, the sky's falling if they don't win in the next two years. Ask that person this. If the Ravens do not win Super Bowl 55 or 56, is any move they made a failure? Because if if that's the only way, well, there's only 31 failures and, and one success every year. If you say, if you then redefine it as, no, I want to see at least a conference appearance. Well, I think the Ravens long run strategy is going to generate more long AFC championship appearances than just about anybody. Right. I think their long run is, is better for that. It might be better for getting them to the Super Bowl and winning Super Bowls, but it certainly will give them regular opportunities to win the Super Bowl with this kind of a long-term focus and, and getting the playoffs regular. Yeah, I mean, look, and I think everybody understands the way that contracts work now that, yeah, if you have a quarterback who, who's truly you know, a franchise-type quarterback on a rookie deal, yeah, that's the ideal situation. And you, mm-hmm. you want to you try to, to, to chase that championship during that window you know, of him and his rookie deal. But I, 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 there's more than one way to do this thing, right? It's like anything in life, right? There's more than one way to do it. And we've seen teams do it the way that you just talked about, the win now, and not be able to reach that goal. And we've seen teams do it you know, the way the Ravens do and are at least in the hunt for it, right? Did, did, did they right. accomplish it? No, but like you said, neither did 31 other teams. So I'll take it, you know, I'll take their, their approach uh, any, any day of the week, uh, just me personally. And that's, that's saying something because I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a little more risk tolerant. So I'm kind of surprised that I'm saying that, but I'll, I'll take that approach. Your judgment's excellent, Michael. Always one of the people I really trust on on that and many other things. But Michael, always great to have you on, my friend. Uh, anything you'd like to plug now? Anything you're doing? I, 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 we want to talk about the about the run show you just did. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Uh, that's that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, I, I did it with. Uh, Josh, I call him Josh Ilm because I have a hard time pronouncing Josh Mistyko. There you go. You're better at it than me. But he's uh, he's also on Twitter at Yoshi2052, 20 for uh, Ed Reed, 52 for Ray Lewis, obviously. And uh, we kind of collaborated on a project this last year. I chart the Ravens run game, every play, every game. Um, and then Josh, who, who really did the part of this that really <laughs> amazed me because I could have never done it uh, from a technology standpoint, was able to put that into a really easy-to-use 
user interface, kind of a graphical interface uh, where you can filter different things. You can use sliders uh, to kind of adjust different information about the run game and really dig into it and, and learn as much as you want. Uh, about the run game or use it to come at me and say, hey, you don't know what you're talking about in your charting. <laughs> Whatever you want to do with it, uh, it's there for you. But we did a show uh, with, with you, Ken, and uh, that's going to be coming out soon. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's actually, it, it will have been out before this episode airs because okay. okay. it'll be out on uh, Monday the 22nd, is it? So uh, anyway, take a look for that. And, and what I'd say is if you listen to that in your car, uh, please go back and don't just look at the podcast. Look at the video because Michael does a great job explaining a lot of things about the Ravens run concepts. And we didn't we didn't have the opportunity to go through all of them, but we have the opportunity to go through some. And then you learn a lot about, hey, what does a pulling player do and what's he looking for and which gap is he responsible for this sort of stuff. Uh, some great plays there that are a lot of fun to look at. And then the, the stuff from Josh is another level to this. And, and uh, it adds a visual component. Now, Michael already had the visuality of the clips, but Josh adds the visuality of the data, which is really nice, and uh, visualization of the data, I should say. And then you, uh, uh, the other thing uh, it's just done at a remarkable level is the ability to slice and dice the data in different ways, which effectively put the whistle in the troublemaker's hands, as I call it. <laughs> All the naysayers who say, wait a minute, did you consider taking out the top 10% of the, uh, you know, win probability circumstances? And I, I, unfortunately, I'm one of those guys. But when I look at that, I always think if, if they didn't carve this right, they didn't do it right. But it would allow me to go in and be satisfied that, hey, this really works out. But uh, you know, a team like the Ravens has a lot of very extreme situations. And he appended all sorts of data from the FASTR database. So uh, fantastic combined job 10 out of 10 in terms of studies i've seen uh on the nfl just really cool information and, and a ton of work by michael probably hundreds of hours of putting that together in terms of of, of watching the video i'm guessing don't don't tell my wife and kids <laughs> all right we still keep the secrets from her that's probably not a good thing after all these all no right. probably not <laughs> All right, folks. So, uh, positional reviews. We'll be doing free agency reviews next on on this program. Uh, still looking for a few people to do those. By the way, if you're out there listening, you say, "Boy, I really want to talk about one free agent group." Send me a thing on Twitter, and I'll I'll, I'll fit, fit you in there, or possibly in the draft if you want to do that. Uh, otherwise, uh, Michael, we really appreciate having you on. Yeah, no, it's great. It's always great to be here, Ken. Um, we don't we don't get to probably do it as much as either one would either one of us would like to, but when we do, it's always a, a, a great time. It really is. And you can, you can tell it in my voice. There's the difference in, in the, the, the excitement level when you have Michael Crawford on. Just, just love it to have it. But thank you, Michael. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.